Hey everyone, this is Lance Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, Ben Gulker and I talk about your 5 and 16 Detroit Pistons. Ben took a deep look into the numbers to discuss how this team is playing without Cade Cunningham. Spoiler, it's better than we thought. I took a deep look into my feelings to talk about how Killian Hayes looks like a regular young NBA player. And then we talk about how uh, Kevin Knox and Isaiah Livers have swapped bodies somehow. It's been weird. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my triumphant co-host, Ben Coker. <laughs> ben, how are you feeling after yesterday? Laz, what a day. Michigan football. Uh, wow. That was a, a stunning victory, I got to say. I was not expecting the game to go that way especially after the first Ohio State drive. I was nervous, man. I was nervous after that first drive. But, wow, what a game. What a season for the Michigan Wolverines football team. Not done yet, obviously. They've they've had some nail biters against bad Big Ten teams, so I'm not going to count anything done until it's done. But, yeah, that, that was a big win. That was lots of fun. Yeah, the, the second long uh, touchdown run by, I think it was Donovan Edwards, my yeah. wife was like, is this a replay? It's like, are they just showing this over again? It's <laughs> like, funny. nope, this is the exact, it's like, this is just what it is. And so, yeah, props to, props to you guys. That was, uh, that was amazing to, to watch and to see. Um, of course, last week we recorded like a super downer, grumpy episode. We were just like, not happy with the state of the team at all. And so this week they went back to back West Coast games on back to back nights. Their first two road wins all season. And uh, I I don't know. Should we do grumpy again to like keep the winning going? Do we uh, do we go positive? Like, what's the plan for today? The grumpy old men Pistons podcast, Laz. That's the secret, I think. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll try positive, and if they lose again, we'll go back to grumpy. How's it sound? <laughs> so the the first thing I actually wanted to talk about was Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox has been, I think, the the single most surprising part of what we've seen from the Pistons this week. Uh, in his last four games, he's averaging 14 points and four and five rebounds, and he's shooting 55% from three, which is obviously not going to last, but still really impressive. He scored 20-plus points for the first time in like three years, again, in the win against Utah. Um, it's like Obviously, he's not going to keep this level of play up, even as he continues to be trusted in the rotation. But Ben, when guys like Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart return to the lineup, it's like what's the plan for Kevin Knox? Does he keep the rotation minutes he's very clearly earned this week? Yeah, well, kudos to Troy Weaver. This puzzling signing was puzzling, right? I mean, this was bizarre <laughs> yeah. when this the signing happened. But I, I think we've seen a little glimpse into what Troy Weaver was thinking. You know, the second thing I'd say is 
I'm of the opinion that you should never lose your spot in the rotation because of an injury. So I think obviously I don't, I don't see how this would impact Sadiq Bay necessarily, but I think this underscores how important shooting is, right? I mean, making shots impacts your winning chances. We've seen that. So I think to me, I think the question this raises is, you know, what does this mean for Hamadou Diallo? That's the question I would be asking. Hamadou's a guy who struggled to shoot the ball for throughout his entire career. He's continued to struggle to shoot the ball this season. He provides a spark off the bench that, Laz, I know you like. I love it as well. But shooting the ball from three is a, is a skill the Pistons have struggled to find for years and years and years. This team in particular has really struggled to find it. You're right. I mean, he's not going to shoot at historic NBA levels from three. But, I mean, what if he shoots 38% for, for the season? I mean, that would be a huge boost to the bench. Um, I'd be looking at Hami as a guy and heck maybe even livers. If he continues to struggle shooting the ball, cause he's not shooting the ball at an acceptable rate. Maybe we'll talk about that later. I think you have to continue to give him a look. If, if these guys continue to struggle to shoot the ball uh, at the bottom of the rotation. Yeah. The, the thing with Knox is that like the, in the game against Denver, it was all transition stuff, right? Like all getting him out, him getting out on the break and uh, guys finding him in transition. The Utah game, it was a bunch of spot up threes, even like that one deep three against uh, the Italian guy whose name is escaping me. But against against like Sacramento and against Phoenix, he just looked like a regular fill in rotation wing, right? Didn't try to do too much. Um, and as long as he is making those those spot up opportunities that the bench is doing a great job of generating, it's like I yeah the, this is this is what we had in mind for the Livers role, right? So maybe if, even if he's not exactly Isaiah Livers, it's like if he can you can fulfill that role of being the guy who makes the shots around the Alec Burks pick and roll, then like yeah I think that's a valuable uh, role to have absolutely. Um, I do uh, the other thing I was going to say is I've been impressed by his defense. His arms are really, really long, yeah, um, yeah. and he leverages that often, which is which has been good to see. He's not he's a he's a good rebounder, not an amazing rebounder, but you can see the length on closeouts and contests, like really giving some uh, some shorter guys trouble, and uh, like that that is what I like to see from a guy who is going to be a role player is being able to just like know your role and contest shots on uh, and make shots on both ends of the floor. Um, I, I kind of like what Hami's done, and like it feels weird to me that like every time we have this discussion about who's playing uh, better off the bench, it's like, what does this mean for for Hami and his spark? But you're right that like the the shooting is just so valuable for uh, uh, this second unit that I I have to imagine that uh, you know Hami's kind of looking over his shoulder a little bit at this point. Um, we'll we'll see what happens when those uh, when Sadiq and Isaiah enter the rotation. I'll be very curious to see how that plays out for sure. Um, you did mention Isaiah Livers. I did want to talk about Isaiah Livers. Uh, he has gotten the opportunity to start with uh, Sadiq Bey out. Um, he started, I think, the last four games. He's averaging six points, a rebound and a half, and he's only shooting 33% from three, and he's only putting up five shots a night. So as a starter, uh, he's only putting up five shots a night, and he's basically going like one for three from three every night in the starting lineup. Uh, I asked this about Marvin Bagley last week, Ben. Is that enough from a starting rotation player? When I advocated, like when we talked about him starting at the beginning of the season, this is not like what I had in mind from Isaiah Livers. 
right? It, it, no, it's not enough. I mean, that's a completely fair question. The obvious answer is no. To me, Livers is a guy who I think his offensive impact scales with the quality of the players around him. And what I mean by that is when he's he's basically kind of like your four and a half or fifth option, I think. And when he's playing with other really good players, he's the kind of guy who in a good way kind of gets lost in the shuffle, right? Like he finds the open spots. He makes the good off ball cut. He, he sets a screen and then pops to the open place. And that allows him to maximize the skills that he has, right? Like he, he makes the right cut. He finds the open spot and he just puts himself in a position to, to catch and shoot and finish off of somebody else's positive skills. And that's what he's really, really good at. When he's playing with a diminished lineup, like the one he's playing with now, I think it's harder for him to do the things that he's good at because there aren't as many skill sets for him to play off of. And and so I, I think he's just kind of in a tough situation right now. This isn't the kind of lineup that you'd want him to start with. So I, I think it sort of exposes the fact that um, you know this lineup just underscores his weaknesses rather than highlighting his strengths. Um, and that's what I'd say about the recent stretch for livers. This is just not the kind of lineup you'd want to put him in and expect him to succeed with. That's fair. I've definitely thought he's been invisible as like, as a fifth starter, uh, offensively. And I wondered about his ability to scale like into a larger role, because if, if he's if he's really this reliant on the type of talent around him, then that makes it tricky for him as a bench player because bench lineups are just like in general going to have less talented players around him. And so if he's going to like only be an amplifier, um, it's like that calls into question. You know, you know, do we need someone with like a little bit who amp- who can do a little bit more with the ball in their hands, who offers a little bit more defensively, who? Uh, Someone who even just is willing to put up, you know, five, four, five threes a game in that bench role, um, like Livers has. Livers is only putting up again like five shots per game. Um, I think at, at minimum, I would like to see him like just be a little bit more aggressive in uh, getting those up and shooting those open looks when he gets them. You see a little bit of the same hesitation we saw from Sadiq, where he's. Uh, thinking about putting the ball on the floor or making the one more pass or keeping things moving. And the thing I would tell Isaiah is just like, no dude, like your job is to go out there and shoot 40% from three at like a semi-decent clip because like that's, that's the thing like I absolutely have faith in you doing. And the starting lineup needs more guys who shoot 40% from three at a half decent clip to keep the, to keep the lineup space, to keep the floor balanced to keep uh, defenses out of the paint. And so, so the other guys have space to operate. Um, so yeah, this has been interesting. I thought I would be enjoying the Isaiah livers starting experience a little bit more. And so far it's just made me really, really grateful that they traded for Boyan Bogdanovich. <laughs> more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. I think in some ways it's not too hard to imagine. So like you could imagine Cade, Ivy, Boyan, livers, Duran. Like you mm-hmm. can imagine livers getting lost in the shuffle where you've got Kate and Ivy attacking off of the Duran pick and roll. And then you've got whichever off, whichever of the guards is not in the engaging that pick and roll. The defense is focusing on focusing on the other of those guards. They're worried about Boyan as the, the primary shooter. 
spacer, off-ball creator, and they're worried about Duran rolling. And then Livers is lost in that shuffle, right? So that that's kind of what I'm imagining. So it's not too hard to imagine him being effective, right? Like in a healthy, even in this roster, like it's mm-hmm. not too hard to imagine him getting uh, some sort of impact. So that's kind of what I mean by getting lost in the shuffle. I don't think you have to squint too hard to see him being more effective, even in the context of this team. Um, but I mean, as depleted as they are right now, like I, I just don't see him right now, at least where his game is being a guy who's creating off the dribble or, you know, anything like that. It, it just seems to me a little bit beyond where his skill set is currently. He, he does do a, like an okay job of like those two dribble mid rangers, but that requires the defense to like close out on him really hard. That requires like a bad rotation. And you don't want your offensive game to be solely reliant on uh, defensive mistakes or defensive miscues, especially if you can't create those defensive miscues yourself through, you know, your own ball handling ability or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to like I'm not trying to talk down on Isaiah Livers. Like I still think he very like he very clearly like slots into a role on this team as a starter and off the bench. I just was expecting a little bit more from him uh, in this in this opportunity. I'm sure he's uh, he's not pleased with the way he's been playing, but uh, that's that's a whole other story. Um, one guy we have been pleased with over the last couple of games as a starter that we did not talk about last week and we got questions about, and <laughs> I wanted to keep it I wanted to keep it light because I didn't want to do it a whole thing, but Ben Killian Hayes is producing out he's not been effective he's not been efficient but he's definitely producing far and above what he was at the beginning of this season Uh, as a starter over the last eight games he's averaging 10 points three and a half rebounds almost six assists and almost two turnovers a game he's shooting 37 percent from the floor so again like not efficient at all but uh last i checked he was shooting 40 percent from three in that stretch right like not for the whole season but like in that eight game stretch shooting uh, 90% from the line, so he's kind of regained uh, the free throw uh, form as well, but he's only getting to the line one. He's averaging one free throw a game, so we'll get to the line once uh, or one possession every other game, which is not enough from a starting guard. But uh, he's doing all this with no real fall-off defensively as well. I have not noted uh, any you know lack of attention or contest or uh, pressure that Killian has been able to generate even as he's been a starter and playing longer minutes. So Ben, it's like uh, I got to do this again. Is this it? Is Killian A's like finally turning the corner after two and a third years? Can can we finally stop worrying about this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so relatively speaking, right? Like relatively speaking, I would say this has been the most competent play we've seen from Killian Hayes. And I think that is worth celebrating. I think it's worth pointing out, like, credit where it's due. Killian Hayes is playing relatively good basketball. This is the best stretch we've seen from him, I think. And I think that's fair to say. Um, I've been impressed by the fact that he's shepherded the offense relatively well without Cade, right? That was a big concern of ours when Cade went down. He's continued to do all of the other sort of Killian non-scoring stat-stuffing stuff. He was very close to the triple-double against Phoenix. Like, to me, that's one of those, like, Cade Light performances, right? Like, very close to the triple-double, managed to score the ball quite a bit, and, as you mentioned, continues to be um, 
tenacious defensively. I had the Phoenix broadcast for that game, and they were actually singing Killian's praises about how hard he played defensively and, and all of the things he was able to do. Uh, one comment they, that stuck with me was like, if he continues to play as well, he's going to be just fine. So yeah, they I also complained that. about him carrying like every, yeah. <laughs> like over and over <laughs> and over. They were having a, a little conniption about that. So yeah, <laughs> which, which was interesting. And I, I didn't even think it was that egregious, like compared to the rest of the NBA, but yeah, they were, they were very upset about that. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is relatively, again, all in context, all relative. This has been the best basketball we've seen from Killian. I've been trying to remember and remind myself that his rookie season was as close as you can get to like a redshirt freshman experience as as you can get, right? Like his rookie season was pretty close to a lost cause. So this is almost his second season. Like it's like season 2.25, right? Like, I mean, this is not technically his third season, but, um, you know, this, this is the best basketball we've seen. A couple things I want to also piggyback onto this. Um, as a former bench guy, I will say one thing that's really hard as a bench player is one, having a short leash is really hard because you're always worried about the next mistake getting you pulled. So one thing I like that Killian Hayes, he's kind of had this all season, but he especially has it now with Cade being out. He doesn't have to worry about that. And then second related, extended minutes in his natural role. I I don't think it's accidental or coincidental that he's got these extended minutes in his natural role and his best stretch of basketball is coming during that time. So like, I don't think it's an accident that um, he's getting 30 minutes a game playing pretty much exclusively point guard. And we're seeing his best play. Like he's had to accommodate and adjust and play out of position and go stand in the corner and shoot corner threes. Like he's had to do all of this weird sort of stuff to adjust all of his natural instincts over the course of his very young career. And that's not easy. Um, so I, I wanted to point that as well. Um, you know, obviously there's still a long way to go. You mentioned his efficiency. He's about 47% true shooting percentage. That's still abysmal. Like there's just no way around it. That's still terrible. Um, the other thing I'll point out is, uh, I don't remember which game it was. Um, might've been Denver. There were a couple turnovers late down the stretch where he got pulled. Um, you know, he made a couple turnovers and he got yanked. And that's, that's disappointing. Like you don't want to see that. I mentioned he's not technically a third-year player, but he's a third-year player. That's really disappointing to see. You don't want to see those mistakes continue to happen. But I think Casey was really trying to to get some wins. They wanted mm-hmm. to win, and to see him get yanked because they needed to win, that was a real bummer. Um, but, yeah, I, I think this is the best stretch of Killian Hayes basketball. There's something to build on here as well, and I hope, I hope Killian – recognizes that and it hopefully becomes a building block for future progress. He's still so young, Laz. He's still so, so young. Yeah. He's still twenty one, if I remember correctly. Are you that or he just turned twenty two? But like he's not he's not twenty three yet for sure. The the Denver game where he and Ivy spent that like two minute stretch in the fourth quarter turning the ball over yeah. and making bad shots yeah. and like both of them got pulled. Yep, that's right. Yep. I was fine with that because they really needed to win that game. They really needed a road win. They really needed um, 
they needed some fort, some form of like payoff. And so I was fine with going with Corey Joseph and Alec Burks down the stretch. Um, and like with a what like a seven game losing streak at that point, and you haven't won a road game yet. Like yes, absolutely. Uh, like play the vets, secure the win, and then you know the next night against Utah, uh, Killian I think got hurt and didn't play the second half of that game. But Jaden Ivy played down the stretch, and he made some impact plays defensively. And so like that, there's the growth. There's the reason why you know you you don't let these guys just you you. Especially if you're on a losing streak like that, like it's fine to to pull the kids every once in a while to try and get some wins. Um, for Killian in the specific, we've talked about the production with the horrendous efficiency. I think the thing that stands out to me, especially like this, this was crystallized for me in the Phoenix game. Your point about how a couple of mistakes or a couple of bad shots with no Cade, and you know for the Phoenix game with no Jaden Ivy meant. Um, like he just had to work through it, right? Like you, unless you're going to play Kojo 35 minutes, it's like he he has to play. And so Killian took some what even I would say are some very ill-advised shots in that Phoenix game, but be, but with the longer leash, we also got like we also got some of those uh, like great playmaking. We, he made some more shots after that. It's like those you know taking a bad shot. And then refusing to shoot is like you can't do that anymore because the talent isn't around there. So you have to find a way to take a better shot, and uh, he, he managed to do that in the Phoenix game. Um, to the easiest thing I think to improve this terrible efficiency is getting all the way to the basket. He's still not doing a good enough job of getting all the way to the rim. And when he does get there, he's not doing a good enough job of finishing when he gets there. Um, a lot of his damage uh, from the points perspective is coming from the fact that he has found his stroke from the mid range and that he is shooting better from three. And a lot of these threes are like off the catch threes off of like Boyan actions or IV actions. Um, and so he's still not producing at like the most efficient place, which is, which is at the rim uh, th- that shows in the free throws, right? Again, like two free throws, like every other game is not going to cut it from your starting guard, but like you mentioned, Ben, this is a baseline to build on top of. I am glad that, like, after you know a redshirt freshman year and this being year two point two five, we have like a base to build on top of. And you know, with Cade, maybe with Cade, like I'm assuming Cade is out for the season at this point, um, and so Killian's going to get a long leash. So, like, all we are looking for is these building blocks. All we are looking for is these. Uh, these plays to continue to find a way to, to uh, build his career up. And I'm just glad we have a base because like the alternative, can you imagine like no Cade, no Jade Nivey and Killian's playing like he did like at the beginning of last year, like, or at the end of last year, it's just, yeah, no, yeah, that, would, that would that, be rough. That'd be, that'd be really rough. So, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to celebrate the win, but I was definitely not going to mention last week because I was nervous. It was not going to continue. So <laughs> there is that. <laughs> Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich got stepped on in like the last minute of the Phoenix game. He's listed as questionable for tonight's game against uh, Cleveland, but that that didn't look great. And so it wouldn't surprise me if he misses a couple of games. He's also like all these young dudes, like they can bounce back. Boyan's 34. Boyan's not bouncing back. uh, Not anytime soon, at least. So uh, Ben, what would, what would, what would, Bogdan, what would Bogdanovich's absence on top of 
all the other injuries the Pistons have uh, need for the team. Well, I mean, to me, he's been their most consistent offensive weapon. I mean, I, I think that's pretty clear. Um, he's been the stabilizing influence of the offense as well. I mean, the most consistent stabilizing offense, kind of like the security blanket for the offense, the guy you throw the ball to, especially when Cade's been out, the guy you throw the ball to and, and hope something good happens. So losing that, he's your 20-point-per-game scorer. Yikes. I mean, who who's going to be that now, right? Like, if Ivy's still out as well, like, who is going to generate offense i don't know that that's kind of scary to me could be ugly today could be real ugly i'm thankful that the injury isn't more serious it really didn't look pretty in real time the replays were a little more forgiving but the real time look at that injury looked kind of scary yeah um i'm i'm glad it's not something serious because it it looked a little scary at first yeah i was uh i was definitely worried about like some kind of like mcl thing because like when when ankles go like one way and like knees go another, like that's that's generally not good. So I'm also glad that uh, it does not seem like it's too serious. But I also like would not expect him to play tonight. Again, we are recording this at like 10:53 in the uh, in the morning before the Cleveland game. They'll have some injury news. So like if if he plays tonight and we missed it, like we're we're happy about that. Be- believe us. Um, yeah, the the way they've been using Boyan as uh off screens and off movement is something that they don't really have anybody else who can replicate that type of thing. They did some of that with Kevin Knox, but I don't trust Knox as a driver and a pull-up guy in the way that I trust Boyan. And so uh, it it's interesting that like losing Boyan, not only do you lose your most consistent offensive player, but you like lose a chunk of plays that you can run and you lose a, a type of offense that you can use to attack a defense. And so you just get like way more predictable in addition to, uh, you know, the talent deficient uh, uh, deficiency. So yeah, uh, Bogdan missing any time would be really bad. Uh, maybe they get like Jaden Ivy back sometime soon or Sadiq or Isaiah back sometime soon to help, you know, offset a, a little bit of that. But it'd be really nice if all our guys could just like stop getting injured. Seriously. You know, the the flip side of the coin is I was expecting him to get blitzed by Phoenix because of all the guys who are out and, um, you know, guys, guys step up and they managed to make that game close. So, I mean, it helped that Phoenix was missing some key guys as well, but you you never know. Somebody can go make eight for nine of their shots. Like somebody will pour in an unexpected game. Kevin Knox could make everything and who knows what could happen, but when you're missing a guy like Boyan, who's who's been the guy pretty much, I mean that that hurts for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk about Jalen Duran and Marvin Bagley. So Dwayne Dwayne Casey said during the week that he looks at Duran as a starter, not a backup, and yet Marvin Bagley continues to be in the starting lineup. Now Bagley has played better, like over this most recent stretch of games. He shot like nine of ten against Utah and managed to put the ball in the basket again against against Phoenix, like fairly efficiently. Like Marvin Bagley has been playing better this week. Like that's not that's not in question to me. But uh, Jalen Duran has close. He closed the Denver game uh, against Jokic. He closed the Utah game um, as part of that as part of that win as well. So even if Dwayne Casey doesn't view Jalen Duran as a starter, he's kind of viewing him as a closer. And so Ben, I. 
why don't they just rip the bandaid off and have Jalen Duran start? Like, I'm, I'm not understanding it at this point from a coaching perspective. Yeah, this is an interesting, this is an interesting one that I don't have an answer to. Um, Jalen hasn't played more than 30 minutes in a game yet, which is interesting. He's, he's come close. He's played 29 and change a couple different times. And Casey hasn't necessarily been hesitant to play rookies big minutes, right? I mean, Stewart played pretty big minutes early in his rookie season. Obviously, Cade, number one pick, played big minutes. Ivy's played big minutes early. Sadiq played big minutes consistently and early. So I'm not 100% sure I can explain this one. Um, The best I can come up with is you've got two bigs on the roster and Stewart and Bagley who are sort of established as semi-important to the team somehow. And so maybe you want to see him just clearly and consistently outplay those two guys for an extended amount of time. I don't know. I'm reaching. I, I'm, I'm sort of reaching. Um, I, the other thing I can think of is maybe there are some team defensive benchmarks that they're really working with him on because I think that's probably the weakest part of his game. But there, there are some clear things he's doing that are, are really, really good. Um, this week in particular, I was impressed with his passing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There were, he made some passes that were super high level. Um, great vision, great execution. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would love to see him play more minutes and explore some of that stuff. It, it's pretty clear when he's out there, um, his, his size and his ability, it's, disru- it's very disruptive for other teams in a way that Bagley certainly isn't in a way that Stewart certainly isn't. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little confused. I'm, I also remain confused that if, if you're going to, if you're going to close with them, why not start with them? That that's, that's puzzling. It, in some ways it doesn't matter. I've always kind of felt that way. It doesn't matter if you're going to close with a guy. I don't think it necessarily matters if you're not going to start him. but um yeah, this is this is a confusing one to me because there's never been hesitation in the Casey era to start the kids if that if you're going to close with the kids. So I, I don't know, Les. This is a weird one for me. Yeah, the thing I keep coming back to is that so Dwayne Casey has shown himself to be a coach who like goes with the hot hand, right? Yeah, um, true. If a guy is shooting well, he will play in the closing lineup. If a guy is playing well defensively, like he will play in the closing lineup. We've seen like Hamadou Diallo close games because like he had it going that night, for example. Um, if Jalen Dern is consistently closing games because he has the hot hand, or because they like what he brings defensively, or uh, he's uh, they like what he brings as a rebounder on the offensive and defensive glass, it's like if this keeps happening consistently, like perhaps. He's just a better fit or a, or perhaps he's just uh, more conducive to winning at, even at this young stage of his career than Marvin Bagley is. Right. And again, like Marvin Bagley played really well this week offensively, but uh, when Deandre Ayton was like feasting in the first half and in the second half uh, against Bagley, like it was really apparent that the, the team is better defensively and can do more things uh, defensively when, when Jalen Duran is on the floor. And so that, that makes this tricky. I, I wonder if it's like a young vet versus a young player 
thing. Marvin Bagley did just get paid this offseason, right? Like that that plays a huge factor. Um, it does. It doesn't. It does seem like they've been like really committed to the Isaiah Stewart Marvin Bagley starting lineup um, and trying to execute that this season. Like perhaps we see that as soon as tonight. Uh, but like that is something that they've like really stuck to as like part of something that they want to see. But uh, yeah, it just seems like to me at least it seems like starting Jalen Duran and keep bringing in Marvin Bagley off the bench puts both of those guys in what is going to end up being their future roles and uh, like primes them for success in in both of those roles. I think Jalen, I think Marvin Bagley is better attacking bench lineups and attacking, you know, less stout defensive players and just like using his athletic ability around the rim against, uh, against bench lineups. Like, I think that's better for him to be more productive. So this is, this has just been curious to me. I think, I think if we were to ask Dwayne Casey about this, uh, the thing we would get is like some coaching axiom about foul trouble and 19 year olds. (laughs) But like at some point, it's like he's he, okay, yeah, yeah. He's not going to be nineteen forever, but like if he's better for you know ten straight, fifteen ga- straight games, if he fits the closing lineup more for ten games, fifteen straight games, like you, you should just play him in in the role that I think is more uh, applicable to what his uh, his t- his talent is suited for. So yeah, this is confusing. I don't love this, but as long as he's playing and and uh, closing games, like I, I guess we have to be fine with it. It just remains like really weird from uh, from a coaching thing. So Ben, I was gonna ask you uh, what you were thinking about, and then you just like tweeted it out. So let's just talk about what you tweeted out. You're talking about how Cade Cunningham uh, has been absent over these last couple of games, and the team has looked more competitive uh, over these last couple of games, including you know back to back wins on the road. Etc. Uh, a lot of people pointed out that like maybe a lot of that's due to the fact that like Alec Burks is back and there hasn't been like a lot of overlap between K playing and Alec Burks playing. So, like I thought that was fair, but I also thought some of the points you made were also fair and uh, perhaps not things that people like actually really want to hear right now. But that doesn't make them any less true. So <laughs> go th- go through the thing. What what have you been thinking about with Cade Cunningham's absence uh, with this team so far? Yeah, so Pistons won two games, and I it really one of the things I've been thinking about when Cade first went down, Laz, you got me thinking about this. What on earth is going to happen to the Pistons' offense? Is it going to completely collapse and or implode? And after the the Pistons won a couple games, I thought, okay, let's look at the numbers. We've used the eye test. I've been watching. Let's look at the numbers and see see what it looks like. So. With Cade, if you look at the all of the games Cade played in, the net rating was negative 10.3, worse than the league during that time frame. Um, based on some feedback, I chucked the first four games because Cade's approach in those first four was, let's say, interesting. You still get a net rating of negative 9.2, so still pretty crappy, less than a point difference, right? Um Without Cade in the lineup, interestingly, we get a net rating of negative 4.2. So pretty dramatic improvement, and it's all because of offense. The defensive rating has not changed almost at all. It's like a point, like a tenth of a point or something like that. It's pretty much a a six-point jump in offensive rating. The pace is almost identical. 
assists have jumped by a couple per game and the shooting numbers have jumped. Like literally almost everything else has stayed the same. Fouls, free throws, almost everything. Um, so I started to try to propose some tentative ideas about maybe why. Um, and so, so some of my, some of my tentative ideas are first and foremost, I, I am pretty fairly convinced that right now, um, Cade's individual skill set is just not strong enough to carry the heavy load that he was asked slashed carrying over the first 10 games of the season. Like, I, I just don't think his individual scoring skill set can, can sustain the volume of shots he was being asked to take at this point in his career. Five years from now, may, maybe it's there. But the reality is he was one of the least efficient high-volume scorers in the NBA as a rookie and as a second-year player. Um, so so that that's kind of my first tentative conclusion from this. My second sort of tentative conclusion from this is about the other guys on the team. And I think there's a few guys who are contributing to why the offense hasn't imploded, hasn't fallen apart. And first guy is Killian. He's doing sort of a halfway decent Cade impersonation, to be fair. He's he's run the offense fairly well. We talked about um, his individual performance already, so I won't rehash that. But I feel like he's done a good job being a point guard. I think in terms of offensive efficiency, Burks and Bagley, Bagley in particular has had a couple really strong performances shooting the ball. Burks has been pretty much in line with his career norms, maybe a little bit of a hot hand, his shooting numbers up a little bit, but Burks has been pretty much the guy he's been his whole career, and that helps. And then, of course, we already talked about about Knox, who's had some hot shooting nights. So those three guys in particular have buoyed the offense a bit, and and that probably contributes to the O-rating going up. Um we're going to have to look at this again when Knox and Bagley start missing some shots because I think the old rating is probably going to drop a bit. Um, but what I found really pretty interesting is that the offense didn't collapse, right? It actually got better, right? So the, I think a lot of people probably would have expected the, the offense just to get dramatically worse with Kate out. First of all, that didn't happen. Second of all, the offense got better. <laughs> And now we actually have the same winning percentage with and without Cade, which is just fascinating to me. It's just, just really interesting. Like, I wouldn't necessarily have expected that either. Um, another, someone else in that Twitter thread, I think it was Keith Black, pointed out that having some veterans who can just do basic execution of NBA sets probably helps. I think that's completely fair. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the, those are kind of my tentative conclusions. Cade's high volume, inefficient scoring, leaving the lineup and being replaced by veterans who are scoring the ball really efficiently is probably the biggest part of this. Um, But here's where I think people maybe misinterpreted what I was saying, and I wasn't trying to say it at all. This is not an argument that the Pistons are better off without Cade, nor will they be better off without Cade. It's just an observation about a small handful of games and I think at most, I 
at most what I would draw from this very small handful of games is that Cade has probably been carrying too much of the individual scoring load. And that's a function of the roster around him. We have not seen Cade Cunningham play with a full complement of NBA talent, either as a rookie or as a second year player up to this point, the veterans who Troy Weaver brought in to play with him were injured Bagley and Burks being two of them. And when those guys got back, the offense suddenly got better. That's not, that's not accidental. So I think the, the, if I were, if I were building the roster and or coaching the roster, when Cade comes back to whether whether it's the end of this season or next season, here's what I'd be thinking about. I would be thinking about how do I construct a roster that can lessen the load that Cade has to carry as a scorer that would feed into his ability to make um, others others around him better. Because I think some of his natural instincts, Laz, are to be a playmaker. And, and I think, Laz, we've sometimes complained about him deferring too much i think as a roster builder you want to try to find the balance between encouraging Cade to be aggressive that doesn't necessarily mean scoring but encouraging him to be aggressive but building out a roster around him that allows him to also be a a, a playmaker and then coaching i i think kind of the same way like you need to find the ways that allow him to be an attacking player so that he's not you know, deferring for no good reason, allow him to be an attacking player. So he's going downhill and attacking the defense, but that he doesn't feel like the only weapon he has when he's attacking is shooting. Right. And I I think that's probably how he's felt at a lot of the, a lot of the time during his, his young career. So those are kind of my, my tentative conclusions from this, this interesting information that we've, we've got it's really small samples like i said but you know the offense being better without cade was super surprising to me um and uh i I think when cade comes back the key is going to be let's let's put better players around him and, (laughs) and and try try to to ease the load on him a bit because i don't think forcing him to try to be luca because that that kind of feels like the path they've put him on, mm-hmm. which I don't think is necessarily intentional. I don't think that's the path he should be on right now. I, I don't think that's where his skills are right now. Um, I, I think he'll be set up for better. Uh, I think he'll be set up for success better if he's allowed to step back from the scoring load just a little bit. So, so yeah. Yeah. That was, that was great stuff. I, I liked that Twitter thread. I was very happy when I saw it because I was like, okay, this is going to be a good a good podcast conversation. Uh, what I thought of immediately was the Alec Burks and Marvin Bagley thing. Like, obviously, having those two guys who are offense-first veterans back in the lineup definitely helps the offense and was going to help them with or without Cade, right? Like, if Cade was in the lineup and Alec Burks was helping, like, that's that would still be additive offensively, I think. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about, um, because we talked about this last week was, you know, Jade Nivey looking more productive and more comfortable as a like more semi primary guy, right? Like Killian was doing a better job of deferring to Jade Nivey or maybe, you know, Jade Nivey was just 
calling his own, more comfortable calling his own number on the floor next to Killian than Cade. Uh, I definitely think that has something to, uh, so there's, that's something to that. I want, it's like at that point, like if that's a thing, and I think it is, I would like Jaden and Cade to play together more so that they're able to also like naturally find that balance. And I think that gets to the point you made about taking some of the load off of Cade offensively as a primary uh, shot creator guy. Like that's part of the vision of drafting a guy like Jaden Ivey that like he can handle initiating the offense. Uh, he can handle, uh, you know, bringing the ball up the floor. We've talked about his, uh, he, him being better as a playmaker and as a teammate, as a, as a guy who creates shots for others than we expected coming out of college. And so a big part of how this team has played better or been better offensively without Cade is him stepping up uh, in that role as well. And then the, the other thing I'll say is that everything being offensively, mostly the same is very surprising to me. I thought there would be like a, we'd see like a tick in turnovers. I thought we'd see a tick in free throw rate. Burks has been great as a guy who just draws a bunch of free throws and griffs and, uh, you know, obviously the, the overlap between Cade's time and uh, Burke's time, like, hasn't really been there. So I thought that would show up in the number, the numbers. And so to say that, like, assists and, like, percentages are a little up, but that's basically it. That's really confusing to me. Uh, maybe, like we mentioned, maybe that's just, like, the hot stretch we've seen from guys like Kevin Knox over, uh, over the last couple of games. Um, I think it also helps that, like, they've played a couple boat race games like in that stretch, right? Like the Kings game was just like going up and down the floor. Like no one's playing any defense. Like, let's just see where this goes. Mm-hmm. Utah, Utah was much worse defensively than I expected them to be. Um, and like that starting lineup was very soft uh, on the interior. And I think that was very beneficial uh, for the team in that game. Um, yeah. Like Phoenix, Phoenix was missing Chris Paul and some other guys. It's like I thought uh, they did a better job scoring in that game than I honestly expected them to, and so I th- I, that that could just be part of it too. Is they played softer competition. The Correct. Lakers, the Lakers yep. are not. You know, they they lost to the Lakers, but the Lakers are not like stout defensive team. Yep. And so, like, yeah, that that might also be part of it because remember they they played Milwaukee twice, they played Boston twice, Correct. they played Atlanta twice. They 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 went through the ringer in uh, some of that early yeah. schedule, and so I think that that definitely plays uh, a little bit of a part of it offensively. But yeah, it has it, been. Yes, it's I've just it. it's just interesting, right? Like yeah, it's just interesting that things didn't fall apart, right? Like other guys have stepped up, mm-hmm. and and that's interesting. Like that that's all. That's just yeah. I think one of the things I'm thinking about when Cade comes back from a coaching perspective is I don't think Cade knows what to do when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. I don't think he's ever played in an offense where that has been a reality. It feels like when he's got the ball in his hands, he's on. It's like a light switch. When he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's off. And there's a there's a learning and coaching moment I think and I'd love to see him watch film and be developed while he's out this year because there are there are guys on the roster who are really good off the ball and I think you know if the long-term vision is Kate and Ivy he's going to have to learn 
how to be involved and be aggressive without the ball in his hands. Because I think if you go back and watch the tape, I think the tape will support this. When the action is for Ivy or Bogey or somebody else, Kate just kind of stands around. And I think Kate has to figure out a way to be aggressively involved in the offense when the ball's not in his hands. And it seems like he's either got the ball in his hands and he's engaged in attacking or he's standing in the corner. And I think there's, there's gotta be a better balance. And, and I think obviously he's young. He's never been in this situation. He's got to learn how to be more involved as a team oriented sort of offensive player. And it's completely natural that he would not have any experience in doing this because he's always had the ball in his hands. It's completely natural. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is like, you know, you think back to those first four games where it was almost like he was deferring for the sake of deferring to others to get them involved. Like he's got to find the right balance between attacking, not just to score and not deferring for the sake of deferring, but like attacking in order to play make, right? Like I, that's the best way I know how to say it. And so I think when he gets the full complement of capable NBA players around him. Like those are the next things in his development where like he could, he can be a 20 point per game scorer, but he doesn't need to take 20 shots to get there. And I think having better players around him where he can attack in order to play, make like that, that's going to help him, him get there. I think. Yeah. Boyan is actually a really instructive player to look at for Cade. If he's going to be, if he's going to think about how he wants to, attack a defense when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. They've done a great job running Boyan off screens and getting him downhill and like having him make decisions quickly um, because he processes pretty well. I think that's something that they could do with Cade, but you're right in that Cade hasn't come off a lot of screens in his career or a lot of like off ball screens, right? He's been a lot. It's been a lot of pick and roll. It's been a lot of, uh, you know, isolation attacks. Hasn't really been leveraging him as an off ball player. They've, They've tried to get some like catch and shoot stuff in there, right? Like they've stationed him in the corners and run some actions for him to be a good uh, spot up shooter, which uh, he's been better as a spot up shooter than a pull up shooter in his career. But yeah, it's if they want to expand his offensive versatility, that's a great place to start. And Boyan is a really good, I think, uh, vet mentor like in that department. Absolutely. Okay, last thing I'll say, yeah. then we can move on. I was think also thinking about um, the last great Pistons backcourt, which was Chauncey and Rip. Um, they obviously won a championship together. They were so close to winning back-to-back championships together. The great backcourt before them, obviously, was, was Dumars and Zeke. So both of those backcourts scored a lot of points. Zeke was the leading scorer. Dumars was the secondary scorer. Billups and Rip, Rip was the leading scorer. Phillips was not, but I would say, you know, going back to the bad boys, Zeke was the better player between Dumars. Zeke was obviously the alpha. The going to work crew though, I would say Rip was the leading scorer, but Billups to me was clearly the better player. Like no question about it. Um, I could, I can envision a developmental trajectory for Cade where he's not, not not like he's going to be a player that's like Billups. That's not what I mean to say. But what I mean to say is I can envision a trajectory for him where he's not necessarily the leading scorer, but he's the best player on the team. 
I mean, I can also envision a trajectory for him where he is the leading scorer. Like I could see it going different routes for him, but as I see Ivy's potential as a scorer, like I, I don't know how it's going to work out for these two guys long-term, but right now today, I, I like Ivy's talents as a scorer more than I like Cade's talents as a scorer. So like I could see a long-term path where Ivy becomes like the scoring leader, but Cade becomes the better overall player. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. it'll, I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't know that it should happen, but I do think it's interesting to think about. I, I think a lot of people have just assumed, well, Cade's going to obviously be the 25-game scoring guy. I don't know. Maybe we should question that assumption. It doesn't. Does it have to be that way? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It doesn't doesn't have to be that way in order for he for him to be the most important player on your team. And we actually have context for that in the Pistons sort of scenario. So anyway, last thing I'll say about that. No, no, no. That was good. That was good. All right, Ben. Uh, the Pistons play the Cavaliers later tonight. That's always fun. Just like the NBA is like, hey, six game road trip. Welcome back home. Here's the Cleveland Cavaliers. Just like just punching us in the face. And they play the Knicks on Tuesday. They play Dallas on Thursday. That will be an interesting matchup. Dallas has been um, a very weird team uh, so far this season. And then they play the Memphis Grizzlies on Sunday. Uh, after the wins against Denver and Utah, I'm cautious of being like, "Oh, they'll go winless." Like, "Oh, you know, nothing, anything's possible." But I don't, I don't know who. Uh, none of those teams strike me as particularly vulnerable. Perhaps the Knicks. The Knicks, I think, are the worst team by record uh, in that stretch. But uh, what do, what do you give us of winning a game this week? Laz, I follow a few people who bet the Pistons just for the lols and. <laughs> Last week, they all said, of course, I'm not betting the Pistons this week because they're on the road and they're all hurt. (laughs) And then, of course, the Pistons win a couple. (laughs) So uh, I feel like if any of us knew what to do, we would bet and we would make money. Yeah, Um, But I will say just for just for the fun of it, I'm going to say I'm going to say Dallas. Let's say Dallas because they want they want Sadiq. And I'm going to say Sadiq's going to be back in the lineup. And uh, let's just say there's something to the Dallas trade rumors for the for the heck of it, even though the reputable reporters have said I've not validated any of it. Let's say that Sadiq wants to go drop something on uh, Mark Cuban and, and the Mavs. So, so we're going to beat the Mavs. I like that. I like that. We We didn't really talk about Sadiq and Isaiah's imminent return to the lineup. Because I don't know exactly like when it's going to happen, um, and the team has been interesting without them. But I will be curious to see how things play out when later this week, I assume, both Sadiq and Isaiah return to action. Right, the rotation decisions will be interesting around that. We talked about that a little bit with Kevin Knox. Um, the 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 uh, playing time uh, will be interesting around that as well. And so that will be the thing I'm keeping my eye on this week. I like the Denver call. Um, I think they surprise us. They win one game this week. I just, I wish I knew which one it was going to be, but you know, it is what it is. Ben, that was a good podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, I have, since the Twitter has been uh, less effective, I found myself in the comments more often. And so I've uh, found myself uh, 
battling it out with people who are like Ben hates Cade. A little bit <laughs> and so I hope I hope this very nuanced, very detailed conversation we had uh, like helps those people like realize like this is how we're actually like processing it and thinking about it, not like uh, Ben hates Cade like three words and that's it. So how can people have more of these conversations with you? Where can people learn these more nuanced thoughts uh, that you have surrounding the Detroit Pistons? Ben wants nothing more than for Cade Cunningham to be a stud and lead the Pistons to an NBA championship. I assure you. Um, the reason I am so critical of Cade is because I, I, uh, First of all, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, nothing I say is going to change anything. But I, it's because <laughs> I love the Pistons. People, people forget, and I say this a few times because it's the truth. When I was a kid, <laughs> this is so embarrassing, but it's true. When I was a kid, Laz, I used to cry when the Pistons would lose. Like, and that that kid still lives in this almost forty-year-old man. <laughs> I used to say my bedtime prayers that the Pistons would win. <laughs> that was that was this that was this kid. So you know when I this is the adult version of mm-hmm. bedtime prayers is is Ben looking at Cade's true shooting percentage and on off numbers and all that <laughs> kind of stuff, right? So this is grown up bedtime prayers. I want Cade to win. I want Cade to be successful. But yeah, uh, at BR Golker on Twitter, the the West Coast Road Trip is over. I will. Uh, oh, we can watch the games live again. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I have not been. I have not been live, so I have not been. Uh, not been active. But yeah, I, I think game threads sound good. Twitter is a dumpster fire, so yeah. I'm not even going to talk about. It. No, for sure. I uh, I I did miss the Phoenix game, um, and so I DVR'd that. But I did like waking up in the morning and checking Instagram and like seeing like. I was like, oh, Killian posted. Like, oh, Killian had a good game. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I can, I can actually watch this game without fear of reprisal. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, you, so, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter as well at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. And, yeah, I've been more uh, vocal on the boards. It's been interesting to see what people are thinking. And I think that will be my place of refuge if one day I just wake up and my Twitter app isn't working anymore. So that's, uh, that's, that is what it is. Thank you to everyone who uh, listens to this podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, let us know in the comments, like, you know, your thoughts about this episode. I think this episode is like a lot of meat for, for some great discussion. Um, and we will be back next week with another one, hopefully just like it. We will, uh, we will see you all later and talk to you then. Bye-bye.